Hey guys, welcome back to Handling It. I'm your host, Catherine, and as you know, I thought I had my life all figured out, and then I realized I actually didn't, but I'm handling it. And one of the best ways I've learned how to do that is to talk with others about how they're handling their own lives. Well, happy Wednesday, everyone. I hope you're all having a great week and soaking up these last few weeks of summer. I am so happy to share with you today's guest, the wonderful and brilliant Emma Walton Hamilton. Emma is a best-selling author, editor, producer, performer, and arts educator who currently teaches at Stony Brook University's MFA in Creative Writing and Literature program. Specializing in writing children's literature, Emma has co-authored over 30 books alongside her mother, the talented and legendary Julie Andrews. Emma has also been nominated for two Emmy Awards for her work as executive producer and writer for Julie's Green Room, and she's also a Grammy Award winner for her work as a voiceover artist. What I found to be most admirable of Emma, though, is that as a former actress and theater director, she has a deep love and appreciation for the arts, which led her to co-found Bay Street Theater in Sag Harbor, New York. Today, Emma and her mother co-host and co-produce the podcast, Julie's Library, where they invite children and families to listen in as they read some of their favorite children's books. Episodes also feature different authors, children, and other special guests, and they could be found on all your favorite streaming platforms. I simply can't wait for you to hear from Emma, so you know what to do. Turn up the volume, get comfortable, and I hope you enjoy. So Emma, thank you so much for coming on. I'm I'm so excited to dive into everything that it is that you do. You wear so many hats and you've just accomplished and done so much. So I'm excited. Thank you for coming on. Thank you for having me, Catherine. I'm really pleased to be here. Of course. So I guess before we get into um, just getting into your work, how have you been during the pandemic? Because it's been a crazy year. I'm so interested to hear how, um, you know, people sort of powered through it. Right. Um, well, obviously, you know, it's it's been heartbreaking and challenging on so many levels, just with respect to what's going on in the world and how many people we've lost and, and you know, the, the tensions and the stresses. But I have to say that I'm one of the very fortunate ones who much of what I do, I can do from home. So um, I worked a lot harder than (laughs) it felt like I was suddenly working a lot all the time, you know, without without boundaries, without like commutes and things like that. Um, I worked a lot harder, but I was also I felt very um, you know, sort of protected and, and insular um, being at home. And the other, the other uh, positive for me was that my 25-year-old son, who had been living in the city and working in the city, um, came home for the year. And so, and he works remotely as well. So it's, that's been an unexpected bonus to have the whole family together again under one roof for an extended period of time. And, and that was just lovely, I have to say. It'll be It'll be hard when he goes back to the city, probably this fall, depending on how things go. Exactly. I mean, I can speak for it myself as a child who went through that same thing, right? Um, yeah. I uh, I was living in New York. I was in Manhattan. And uh, 
you know, for part of the pandemic, I came home and, you know, it, I think that was one silver lining I took away from it. Right. Most people in their twenties don't have the opportunity to, you know, be with their family like that when they're out there working, um, doing things on their own. So that was very, very nice. I, I really did enjoy that aspect of being closer to family and also friends from, you know, the area I grew up in here in Pennsylvania. Um, it's, it, it's been really nice. And that's one positive I've definitely taken away from it. Um, it's just, really had that just learning what we can do, you know, learning the whole, uh, the, you know, the, the incredible gift of Zoom, for instance, you know, and how that has informed uh, the way in which we work. We began having um, weekly team meetings, for instance, my mother and I and our, our agent and our manager and, and well, several different agents in different departments, we started to have weekly team meetings. And, you know, some of our agents are in New York and some are in Los Angeles and, and some were in, uh, one was in Nantucket. And, you know, they were all over the place, but we were able to have these weekly meetings and it was very fruitful in a way that had never occurred to us to do prior to the pandemic. So it's really made us think outside the box in interesting new ways, I think. Oh, definitely. And I think too, just with working in general, I mean, it's, it's changed work, the regular nine to five, I think in so many ways. And I can say for so many people that I know that live in New York, I mean, I know companies that they're not going to go back to that traditional five-day work week. And I think it's interesting how we prioritize work in our daily lives and how that's shifted because of the pandemic. We've given ourselves more flexibility, I think, with our schedules. And I'm excited to see how that's going to sort of, you know, evolve after we sort of get out of this lockdown and back into the real world and everything starts up again. So it's interesting. Yeah, it definitely is. But so I am, I guess let's get talking about your work. Um, You're a big advocate for the arts, for those who don't know. Um, You also come from a family. I mean, your mother, Julie Andrews, who doesn't love her work um, as a performer, as an actress, your father also set in costume design. So I'm curious with that upbringing, I mean, was it sort of only natural that you had this just affinity for art and entertainment? I think definitely. Uh, You you know, I mean, not only were both my parents working in the arts um, for my entire childhood, actively, you know, continuously working in their various in theater or in film, but also um, my parents were divorced and I had two step parents and my stepfather was a film director and my stepmother was a writer, a children's book and screenplays and, and, um, and they all four of them were and are enormous lovers of the arts themselves. They, yes, they work in the arts, but they also consume the arts and participate in the arts as, as consumers, you know, um, as much as anyone I know. And so we had in both of my houses growing up, we always, you know, were going to the theater or, or listening to music or reading books or um, running movies or, you know, I mean, that was just a huge, huge part of what we did and how we spent time together. So I think it was sort of a no brainer. I mean, I do, you do hear about families who, you know, where one child just turns out to be an engineer or a mathematician or, you know, just something completely different. Um, But for me, my sensibility coupled with those influences, I think, you know, it really was sort of 
predestined that that was where I was going to end up. Sure. I mean, I, I always find it so interesting. You know, I, my mother was a pharmacist, right? So growing up, everybody just assumed, oh, will you go into science or something medical? And uh, not the case for me. But I can, I, I just found it so interesting because when you grow up in an atmosphere that is really 100% um, revolving around arts, uh, how that must be for you. So um, I guess growing up then, did you have sort of an inkling of what you wanted to do? Did you want to go into, I mean, obviously you've, you've written over 30 children's books. You've co-authored over 30 children's books with your mother. Did you know you wanted to go into writing um, right out the gate? It's interesting, you know, when I was very young, um, I, I was always a voracious reader as a kid. And I also used to write a lot of stories. Um, when I was very young, I was always writing stories. And when I got into my teens, I wrote this really hilarious, salacious YA novel that, you know, was just like my secret, you know, in my room all the time, writing, writing my secret fantasy life. Um, but I was not thinking about writing as a career all that time. I was thinking, oh, I, I'm going to go into theater. I, I was thinking about acting. I was thinking about theater. And, um, and every time somebody would say to me, what are you going to do when you grow up? I would say, oh, I'm going to be an actress. And my mom would say, she says that now, but I think she's really going to be a writer. And I would be like, why are you saying that? That's not what I'm going to do. I'm going to do this theater thing. And, mm -hmm. you know, and I, and I was, I, you know, all my, I went to a lot of different schools and I was always involved in the theater, in the shows and the musicals and things like that in the schools. And, um, and so I went down that track for a little while and, um, and did, you know, several years worth, decades worth of, of performing and then directing and producing and then my husband and I built and ran our own professional theater out here on the east end of Long Island where we live um, for 17 years. But um, I was still always writing for pleasure. I was still always secretly writing and frequently um, children's stories. Mm -hmm. And so um, when, when I had my own first, the first of my two kids, when, I, when my son was born, my mother had also been writing. She'd written two middle grade novels that were published in the 70s. And of course, my stepmother was a writer. Um, her publisher asked her if she would ever consider writing a picture book, writing something for a younger audience. And my son was a baby. And so she came to me and she said, you know, if you were looking for a book for Sam, what would it be? And I said, oh, absolutely no question. It would have to be something about trucks because he was a total truck fanatic. <laughs> and um, I was like, I, and something that has some substance because we were rereading the same truck books night after night after night, you know? So I was like something with character and conflict and theme and some value that, you know, both the adult, the parent and the child can take away. And um, she said, well, why don't we try and write it together? And that's when it started. Um, and, and I was, at the time I was running the education programs and the children's programming at the theater mm -hmm. um, that my husband and I uh, founded. And so I was already steeped in that world. I was teaching playwriting to middle schoolers and high schoolers. And, and you know, I was always very steeped in storytelling and dramaturgy, working with the playwrights of the plays that we produced to, to shape the plays and so forth. So it felt like a fairly natural segue to go from there into, into writing. And we were fortunate in those early years to have a really, really great editor who taught us so much. And it was a really steep learning curve about what the, 
parameters of writing picture books, let's say, are or middle grade. And um, but but here we are now, thirty something books later, and it's our sole focus now. You know, pr pretty much. I I I also teach now. I teach writing for um, Stony Brook in the MFA program. Well, that's I, that's amazing because I think too, as someone who always loved writing as well, growing up, and I love I love reading. Um, it's very hard to just, you know, begin that as a profession. I think, like you said, you sort of have to keep at it on the side and really just work hard on your craft you and do. maybe yeah. shift, keep that interest. You could have that interest for writing, but maybe shift the focus elsewhere while you have that on the side. Um, and it doesn't have to be a passion project. You could still, you know, make money off of, off of writing on the side, but, um, you know, for me as someone like I, I took that sort of interest in writing and said, oh, well, journalism would be a natural fit then. So mm -hmm. I went in and, you know, studied journalism in college and started working in media. Um, but yeah, I, I also think, too, with children's literature, there's a huge educational aspect with that. Um, and that's really beautiful as well. So you said then like a lot of that did stem from having your own children sort of at the time. Yeah, very much so. Um it's interesting. I mean, my my the theater that we started um, for the first couple of years, we didn't have any young audience programming, and um, it was just our main stage season. And we had you know lots of other programs. We had cabaret series and a reading series and all sorts of things, but we didn't have any specifically young audience programming. And then when my son was born, I suddenly was amazed that we why didn't we have young audience programming you know and so I said I'm starting a series for you know that is going to be just for young audiences and we launched that and then we had our education program that was going out into area schools and so um, that's th that's very much the way it began for me was you know suddenly having my own children was this watershed moment where every child I encountered was somebody else's Sam or Hope, you know, and um, suddenly I was seeing the world through the lens of, you know, the next generation and wanting to really do everything I could to support their growth. And also there, there was a little bit of enlightened self-interest at the, you know, the time that I got really, began to get really involved in thinking about producing, teaching and writing for young people, um, I was also keenly aware, particularly in the theater world, of the graying of the American audience, you know, and how mm -hmm. our audiences were getting older and older and older and how incumbent it was upon us to really be thinking about how we bring young people into the arts and how we, you know, um, train them to to love culture right. and to love the arts. And so, um, you know, I was very much thinking about audiences of the future and readers of the future and performers of the future, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's, I think, part of it too for me now is really ensuring that we continue to have generation after generation of arts advocates and arts consumers. For sure, I, I, I completely agree. And I mean, I, I grew up in a rural part of Pennsylvania. Um, we had some, to put it geographically, I'm close to uh, the Wilkes-Barre-Scranton part of Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. And um, I know in Scranton, they had a cultural center, but you know, I, I lived about like 35, 40 minutes away from Scranton. And there was 
really other than the library, if you wanted to, you know, go to some sort of event or go to a show, like we didn't have that. Luckily, you know, we were close to New York, so I'd get into some Broadway shows every now and then. And I, I loved that. But um, because I've always been someone who loves, like I'm I'm I love film, love television, love every awards show there is. Let's put it that right. way. Um, but yeah, there there wasn't a lot of access for me to find those things and indulge in it here. So um, I ended up going to a city, which a lot of people tend to do, right? I mean, cities, that's where we have a lot of, like it's an arts hub, especially New York. Um, But I love the fact that you brought that up that, you know, to try and just bring more of that to different areas is so important and especially to bring it into the school systems too. Well, and that's very much, you know, it's, it's sort of thematically uh, the, the, the through line of everything I do. I mean, I do, as you said at the beginning, I wear a lot of hats. I do wear a lot of hats and I've, I've done so many different things, but the, the connective tissue is that everything is in some way related to the arts and to young people. And, um, and so whether it's, you know, teaching in the schools or whether it's, writing books that celebrate and advocate for the arts, as most of our books do in some way, shape or form. Um, It's just trying to find new ways or whether it's our podcast, you know, that's about reading and, you know, it's just always trying to find new ways to, to reach young people and give them access to that. Definitely. We did a Netflix series as well. We did a little Netflix series called Julie's Green Room, which was based on, was was pretty much um, set in a theater and um, kind of very loosely inspired by my own experiences, you know, running a theater and teaching in a theater and so forth. And my mom played the theater director and uh, teaching arts education to young people, which were wonderful puppets designed by the Henson uh, Company. And, you know, so it's just like every way we can possibly get the word out, we're looking for those little portals, you know. Right. And well, that's another thing I wanted to bring up, too. It's just like transgressing across so many different mediums. Not only do you have, you know, actual books for children, but I mean, I think the podcast is a great idea. I mean, who wouldn't want to hear your mom narrate and and talk about all these lovely books? Um, So I I think it's absolutely fantastic. And I love that it's just growing and expanding so organically, too. Um, And I, I can't wait to see where all that goes. Thank you. Well, it's it's all a tremendous adventure for us. And as I said, we're the, the, the one good thing I will say is that we're both really curious. We're both lifelong learners. And so every time we have an opportunity to explore a new medium or try something, you know, a different way into something, we're just like, you know, kids in a sandbox. We're just so happy to, to keep exploring and growing ourselves too, you know. Well, and I guess speaking of that, that brings me to sort of the next point I wanted to bring up. So you have written two memoirs with your mother um, about her life. Uh, The first was Home and then most recently Homework. I, you know, had read Homework last year closer to when it came out and I absolutely loved it. I learned so much, you know, I I love reading um, about other people's lives. I'm just that's probably the journalism side of me. I'm just naturally curious as to um, sort of how other people live their lives, things they've learned and try and, you know, take something away from that for my own. Um, And I I found the book so great and it was just such a window to like her world really. 
Um, but I'm curious as you know, you're her daughter and you wrote it with her. Um, did you sort of learn anything new about her on that process? What was that sort of work like on both books? Yeah, it was, it's been such a privilege and we're working on the third and, you know, third and final installment now. Um, and it's just, it has been a beautiful privilege to do this work with her. Um, you know, sometimes difficult, sometimes emotional and, and painful, but oftentimes hilarious and always interesting. And, um, and the process is essentially for, for both the previous books and also for this third one now, um, what I do is I start by building a timeline of the, of the framework of the time period that we're gonna be discussing. So the first book takes us through her childhood up until um, she's on Broadway in, in My Fair Lady in Camelot and just about to leave for Hollywood. The second book begins with her arrival in Hollywood to do Mary Poppins and takes us through her film years essentially before she then makes the transition back to Broadway to do Victor Victoria. And that's where the third book will pick up. Um, so I started with these calendars, these sort of detailed time frames that were, I built using her date books and, you know, all kinds of research. And, um, and then we would work through, uh, you know, event by event, time by time, um, and I interview her. And we record the interviews and have them transcribed and then massage those into narrative and, you know, start to tie it all together. We also watched all the films, rewatched all the films together, um, which was really fun. And I would hit the pause button and say, okay, what, tell me about that moment or that actor or that, you know, um, which was, which was really delightful. Did I learn anything I didn't know? Um, I think, I mean, not facts. I, I think I pretty much knew as as now, you know, uh, to adults of a certain age, we pretty much know everything there is to know factually about each other. Um, and we've always had a very close and candid relationship. I think what I came to appreciate, what was interesting to me was when we started homework, um, that pretty much coincided with my birth with my arrival on the scene. And so many of those memories in that book I share. And it's it was very interesting to hear her perspective on things in my childhood that I, you know, assumed as one does when you're a kid, you know, well, grownups have all the answers. They're grownups and they know everything and they have their lives together and, you know, they know what they're doing. And so hearing her talk about how perhaps uncertain she was at a particular moment in time or confused or what she was struggling with or wrestling with, even though intellectually I understood it from the point of view of being an adult and a parent myself now, looking back at how I viewed that moment in time as a child, it was really interesting to see the, the, you know, the disconnect between my perception of her having everything together and then the truth of her being just a human being muddling through as we all are, you know? Um, and I think the other thing I learned was, it was just a, a reinforcing of what I've always known about her in that she is both, uh, she has, which is probably something you can see on screen. She has a kind of innocence about her um, with which she approaches everything in life, a kind of, uh, and I think it comes from being a child performer and not having had a 
a lot of education. There's a kind of a, a, a sense of wonder that she approaches everything with um, that that is definitely been reinforced for me looking at her now, as well as resilience. Um, you know, because she didn't have an easy life. She would grew up in the war and, and during the Blitz, and both her parents were alcoholic, and or her stepfather and her mother were alcoholic. And you know, she started working professionally at age twelve and basically supporting her family at age 16. And, mm -hmm. you know, and then there were complications with her first marriage and her second marriage. And it hasn't always been a, a bed of roses as I know you gathered from reading the books. So, but she has continually um, risen above or powered through um, with a kind of resilience that is just very inspiring. And um, that was really brought home to me too, is kind of looking at how at the, at the scope of her life in hindsight, as opposed to moment to moment living it, you know, mm -hmm. how she's brought that resilience to bear. Yeah, I love that you use that word resilient because that's really what I took away as a reader from the book as well. Um, and you brought up, you know, just sort of you coming into the picture as well. And it was so interesting uh, learning about that time period because I think too, to your point where, you know, she wore a lot of hats herself. And I think one of those, and that's a conversation, a dialogue that we see a lot today um, with women in entertainment is sort of having their family lives, but also juggling and balancing their passions. And mm -hmm. I think especially in those days when, and she had so much going on, but to still balance and you know power through and be so resilient with all of that, um, it, it was really inspiring for me as a reader. Um, but yeah, I, I was also, you know, I think that's why I was so interested to, you know, discuss the whole aspect of the memoir with you is that we've had authors on the podcast in the past, um, but, you know, we, we've never really talked about um, sort of the, I guess, the definition of what, you know, a memoir really is and what it, you know, all the different aspects of it. Um, I guess similar, you know, we've had documentary filmmakers on and I feel like those two things are, are very, um, very similar to one another. But um, yeah, I just think as someone who really enjoys reading a lot of memoirs, I, I always think it's really fascinating to just have that window into someone else's life um, and, and learn about their, you know, their triumphs and their challenges and all of that. It's, it's really wonderful. I agree. I'm a big memoir fan as well. So uh, that was also very helpful, you know, reading a lot of other people's memoirs about those times. And, you know, that, that was helpful in terms of jogging her memory and helping us think in terms of the framework for the, for the books and so forth. Right. And, um, you know, you, you both work on a lot of other projects together, as you touched on. Um, I'm curious with the pandemic, because COVID has, you know, as we talked about earlier, it's impacted a lot. Um, how did that sort of impact the day-to-day -day work you guys have been doing? Well, like everybody else, it pretty much everything we were doing went online. So we, we always prefer to be in the same room together, sitting side by side, you know, working, literally finishing each other's sentences um, when we're working. But, um, you know, my mom is in a high-risk group, and until the vaccine came along, um, I didn't want to put her, I didn't want to expose her to any additional risk because I have a daughter in school and because we're out and about in the world. And so even though she only lives 10 minutes away from me, 
um, we, we started working on Zoom every day and we would go over once a week on Sunday for brunch and sit outside weather permitting, you know, and be with our masks and all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but most of the time we, we were just literally having to work remotely. And with the podcast, um, we had been recording in a, in a local recording studio out here. Um, but then the pandemic uh, forced us to work from home. And so um, our producers sent us gear and my son, who is uh, very technical and um, is a filmmaker, set us up in me in my closet and mom in her closet. And we recorded our podcast from our closets, you know, as one does in, in a situation like this. So yeah, we had to adapt. Oh, definitely. I feel like everybody had to adapt in so many different ways. And that's why I really enjoyed, you know, I had started handling it way before the pandemic, but I think when the pandemic began, I was just so interested to hear how people were really handling, you know, the idea of the pandemic in 2020, 2021 now, Mm -hmm. um, as we sort of continue on with it. But um, yeah, and another thing that I thought was very interesting is as we were all just isolated from the rest of society and we spent so much time at home with not much to do, especially in the winter, <laughs> you know, you know, the East Coast winters, so it, it gets rough. It um, <laughs> but I think for me, um, I found so much joy in reading. I've always loved to read, as I mentioned earlier, but it's hard to really find the time sometimes when we get in that, when we're working that nine to five and we're, you know, every day we, we don't give enough time to ourselves to sort of indulge in the things we enjoy. Um, but I found so much extra time on my hands that I was able to like read more and, and watch more films. If that was even possible for me, I found the way to do it. Um, I was curious, you know, you work with a lot of students as well. Did you find this, um, to be a similar situation for you, people you know? Definitely. Um, I mean, I, I was certainly reading more and also baking more. I suddenly got into the, like everyone else I gather, I was making sourdough bread every couple of days and I, you know, I was making cookies and I was, you know, got those pandemic 15 pounds, you know, to show for it. Um, so, you know, my daughter was was doing uh, remote schooling, and so I was also kind of managing that with her, and um, you know, juggling my own work schedule, and then my own teaching for the university. Uh, I actually had already been teaching online before the pandemic um, at the undergraduate level, but then I started teaching online at the graduate level. So I I literally was all the time, you know, either writing or Zooming or recording or teaching online. And um, in many ways, it was a busier time for me as, you know, so much so much of it went remote, I was able to do more. And so um, I, I think that, you know, that finding that balance was, was interesting too. It was like, okay, I need to now put some boundaries, you know, just because I'm working from home doesn't mean I have to work until midnight and it doesn't mean I have to work on Sundays and you know yeah that was that that was interesting setting boundaries I hope is what a lot of people took away it's something that I took away just giving myself that time um because I I am very much the person that will try and bend over backwards to do all sorts of commitments for everybody um and then at the end of the day you know I'll end up eating dinner at nine o'clock at night or doing the laundry at 10 o'clock when I'm like a zombie. Um, but it's, it's been so great. I think 
just being able to give myself that time. And I, I, I'm really trying to make sure, I guess, call it my post pandemic resolution. I'm really trying to uh, keep that mentality with me throughout it. Good. That's great. I'm going to be doing the same thing. (laughs) Well, so you brought up, um, you know, uh, your position as a, as an academic, as a teacher, Uh, I'm curious. So how did that sort of come about? We know we talked about your work as an advocate for the arts Mm -hmm. and now you sort of teach in the arts. You've even, um, you're an executive director of the Young Artists and Writers Project at Stony Brook. Um, What's something truly rewarding that you found about working with young creatives and um, I guess why you got involved to begin with? Well, it was, um, it was something of a natural segue for me. I had been running, as I said, the education programs at the theater that my husband and I co-founded and the young audience programming. So I had been teaching at that level for many years. And um, after 17 years, my husband and I were ready to step away from the theater and, and do something different. And we, um, we were invited by uh, the dean of the uh, the university where we work um, or where I work now. Um, he he is the head of the creative writing and literature MFA, and he was growing the program and he was particularly looking for um, to to develop a playwriting and and theater arm of the MFA, as well as to build a children's lit arms. So he reached out to both of us at the time and said, would you come and teach for us? And would you build in the summer conference? Would you build a theater component? And um, and so we started just doing that and sort of transitioning from our theater over to, to there. And then uh, within a year, they asked me to take over the directorship of all the children's lit programming there. So then I started teaching children's lit at the graduate level. And, um, and then they asked if we would create a, uh, an educational outreach program in the schools, similar to what we had been doing at the theater. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where the Young Artists and Writers Project came about. Um, and so it, it was just sort of a, a natural progression of you know, what I had been doing and then just sort of transitioning to, to that at the university level, but also continuing to work with middle schoolers and high schoolers. And, and to your point about what's the most rewarding thing about it, working with that age group in terms of the arts, um, it's by far and away um, watching a young person find their voice who maybe has struggled in the academic environment um, for whatever reason. And the thing about arts programs, generally speaking, let's say one of, one of the Young Artists and Writers Project programs, the, the pretty much the, the main program um, is a playwriting program where we work with students and we also teach creative writing in all forms, but, but the sort of the, the main um, program in the area schools is a playwriting program where we lead students through a curriculum and they end up writing their own short plays, their own one act plays. And then we produce a play from each participating school at the theater at the university and the kids get to act in them and we bring in professional directors and so forth. And when we first tell them um, when they're starting to work on their plays that we don't care about their spelling and we want them to write about kids their own age and we want them to use their own language and we're not gonna censor what they write. Their eyes, you know, they, they're like, 
what you mean I can swear or I can, you know, <laughs> and then we, and then we have a, re- a conversation about what's gratuitous versus what's earned and, you know, mm-hmm. not losing your audience and, and all of those things. But no, what we want to hear is their voice and we want to invite them to write about the things that they're passionate about or that they're scared of, or that they're, that makes them mad or that makes them ecstatic or whatever. And they, usually the, the students that you least expect, the, the ones that are maybe on the spectrum or the ones that are having some academic challenges or social challenges or whatever it may be, discover that this is a place where they can shine. And over and over and over again, um, we've seen in, in the program how, you know, that kid who was sitting in the back of the room with their arms crossed and their head down, you know, suddenly finds their voice and when they're up there taking a bow for something they wrote you know at the end of the evening in the production or seeing it get published in our in our e-zine or or even performing in the plays it's just and and then there's this whole component of the schools coming together and working collaboratively with each other which is another joy because most of these kids in our area out here we have like 10 different school districts most of these kids only ever really see each other in sports in a competitive format, right? So here they are working collaboratively towards a common goal and making friends across districts and across communities. And and that's another wonderful bonus. It's sort of a level playing field, you know? And um, it's just such a joy to see young people, you know, suddenly feel like we've, we've had kids who are like, I didn't think I was gonna go apply to college, but now I am because of this experience or, you know, those kinds of things. It just, that's really thrilling. Well, that's so wonderful. And I I think especially just hearing you talk about just seeing people naturally find their voice through this. Um, I I, I always think one misconception um, about people in the arts is that, you know, they're very loud and energetic and, um, you know, they're outspoken and I think a lot of the times it's it's not that way. A lot of people are very shy or not just lots even shy. Of, I mean, lots of kids, you know, this is an opportunity for them to write about whether anything, whether it's coming out or whether it's, you know, substance abuse or whether it's, you know, or their fears about the future or, you know, a lot of times it's those brave steps that they will go to. And it, it isn't loud, It's it, it but it's, powerful. It's moving and, you know, inspiring. And it's, it's, I mean, time and time again, we've just seen the way in which the arts can provide a, a, a platform for a young person to figure out who they are. Mm-hmm. Which, and, is uh, so which is so every, Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I think, yeah, that's the thing. Like most of the time people are just, you know, uncomfortable to share their voice and to share their passions with the world. Um, it's, it's not like an easy thing. Um, a lot of people are scared of rejection and, you know, maybe others not really, um, completely understanding their ideas or or whatever it may be. And I think that's just a really big misconception I've found, um, with people is that they really just don't get sort of the um, limitations sometimes on individuals, but to provide sort of a space, as you said, like say what you have to say, just that alone is so important, especially today. 
Um, cause there's, there's so much out there in the world right now that, you know, causes a lot of people to sort of hush or quiet their voices. And I, I think to provide, especially children with a platform to, you know, share what they have to say with the world. That's wonderful. It's so important. It's yeah. The whole sort of cancel culture thing we're living in right now is, is really challenging. And I think you're right. Kids, especially, you know, with the pressures of social media and so forth, they really, they're, they can be very scared to put themselves out there, but this, this creates a safe space for that, you know, and we're, we're always framing it in, in that, you know, by the way, just because you're writing about this doesn't mean we assume this is your true story. You can, this can be fictionalized. This can be whatever, like we, it's not violating any privacies, it, but it is saying, you know, write about something that is meaningful to you and that you want to explore and that is courageous. Um, and then of course, you know, we always, we, we always do student matinee performances where all the participating students come and see the final plays. And we're always saying to the students, you know, just remember the courage that it took to put these words out there, you know, and then the courage that it takes for these actors to say these words and to play these parts. And, you know, really let's all celebrate and honor that. And they do, I mean, they really, you know, in the beginning, they're all these kids and they don't know each other and they're all a little nervous. And within a week or two, they're high-fiving each other backstage or in the, you know, it's really, it's lovely to see. Definitely. Well, I, I can't wait to see what all you continue to do, um, just with both education and then also just with your other projects. Um, I guess in terms of that, is there anything new that you're working on? Any upcoming projects? Uh, anything you're able to share? Yes. As a matter of fact, um, well, like, as I mentioned, we're working on the third memoir. We're also, um, we have three new children's books in the pipeline. So uh, one of them is coming out in the fall uh, of 22, and then the other ones will be coming out in 23. Um, the one that's coming out in fall of 22 is a picture book biography of the um, Benedictine monk who invented musical notation. So the do, re, mi, solfege, basically. And it's a fascinating story about how he was the first person to ever actually write music and how he came up with that. Um, so for obvious reasons, that has some personal connections for us. And um, so that's the first one that's coming out. We have two more after that. And um, and then we have a lot of other creative irons in the fire at the moment. Um, we're, we're exploring a bunch of possible other projects and um, new ventures, most of which aren't ready to talk about yet, um, but, but will be soon. Well, that's exciting. Those books sound so wonderful. I have... I just became a godmother, so I'll have a little godchild. I'll have a little person to shop around for and who hey. I hope will love reading. Um, but yeah. So, um, Emma, thank you for coming on. And before we wrap, you know, I always like to conclude with this being handling it. Has there been a piece of advice um, or some sort of lesson even that you've learned throughout your career, um, throughout working with your, with your passions, really, um, that's helped you handle your life? Yes, I think I would say the thing that I, the thing that has helped me the most is the realization that nothing is wasted. Everything I've worn so many different hats and I've you know lived it feels like multiple lives and there were times when I thought what am I doing how does this relate to that and you know 
segueing, you know, reinventing myself over and over again. But the truth of the matter is everything I've ever done has informed the next thing in some way and has provided a more solid foundation for whatever the next thing is. And so even things that I've moved away from, for instance, I don't act anymore, I don't perform anymore, but that experience of having done that, you know, is, is invaluable in terms of what I now know about dramatic storytelling and how that informs the way we write or how I work with the kids when we're staging their productions or, you know, those, nothing has ever been wasted. Everything has somehow dovetailed, even though I didn't always see it at the time. Mm -hmm. And so now when I feel like, where does this fit in? You know, if a new project, for example, comes up or a new challenge, I can trust that it will reveal how it fits in at some point. I may not know it now, but it will definitely not be a waste of time and it will be connected in some way to the larger picture. Yeah, there's always like a method to the madness, right? Exactly. There's a reason for everything, right? Yeah, well, Emma, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story. I can't, like I said, I just can't wait to see what all you continue to do. Thank you, Catherine. It's been a pleasure talking to you and lovely to be part of the podcast. Well, I absolutely loved this conversation with Emma, and I hope you did too. If you would like to learn more about Julie's library or check out some of Emma and Julie's books, there are links in the episode bio for you to do so. Thank you to Emma so much for coming on, and thank you listeners so much for tuning in. As always, let me know what you thought of our episode. You can reach us on Instagram at Handling It Podcast, and feel free to send us a message and let us hear your thoughts and suggestions. I'll see you next week with a brand new episode, but until then, keep staying safe with everything going on in the world right now and keep handling it. I'll talk to you soon.